So it feels like spring in more ways than one. It seems to have been a long, strange winter the last two years. Like a winter retreat that went on for two years and uh, with its, yeah, yeah, the simplicity of a monastery in a quiet place and steadying and yet somehow something not being potentized, something not being brought to light, something not being, certain nerve endings you might say not being touched, which is certain energies not not being given room to move because of this uh, restrictions through this uh, viral situation. And then we come into something like a spring where actually things start moving, shifting, changing, opening, flowering. Uh, things are moving, things are happening. Mm. In the world of nature, of course, but also the world of humans. Suddenly visitors coming, guests coming, people turning up for talks, mm. people moving around, community members going off to other monasteries. And, of course, people from other monasteries coming here, people dropping in for a week, two weeks, all that mixing, mingling. Mm. (laughs) You know, with whatever that brings. You know, something that's going to like it to be nice and steady and straight and calm, but that gets slightly artificial. Like it all be kind of logical and clear and planned, and not quite. Mm. Because really, you know, this this big thing <laughs> that we're in, so big we can hardly find a word for it. We call it life, <laughs> you know. And we have all kinds of ideas what it should be or could be or what its aim is or what its meaning is, why we got born and what, where it's going. And, and no, it's always a little bit more than that, bigger than that. Mm. 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 But we do what we do know about it is it's interactive. There's a sense of being affected, you know, pleasantly affected, distressed, overwhelmed, Understimulated, not enough going on, too much going on. Uh, we're affected. We respond, try to organise things, trying to calm things down, try to liven things up, trying to make things work, trying to get away from it all, trying to quieten down, giving up on it, getting exasperated, running away, coming back, starting again. <laughs> Life, and it goes on. <laughs> Uh, and really, this is the thing we're in, right? We're so in, and it's actually happening in our own bodies, doing the same thing. Bits suddenly breaking down, or energies going strange, or getting overheated, or can't really get anything going, kind of dull and stagnant. It's happening in our minds, getting to bleak, strange places in our minds and hearts, or extremely excited, interested, wonderful places, or you know, all this kind of being affected by it all, and all the kind of responses and ricochets that occur around that. 
And yeah, this is practice. This is the this is the realm of practice, the interactive domain, because that's life, you know. So this evening, you know, you see very bare bones sense of it. People, some some came for the chanting, left. Some come, you know, some come for the talk. Some will leave after the talk. Some will linger a bit. People come and go. I don't know. I've seen many of you. Your faces, some, some I do know, some I half know, some I know well, some I don't really know. And probably the same for me, you probably have your impressions of me, which uh, might surprise me. <laughs> and of course, you might look around the assembly thing, I don't know that monk, and where's the nuns gone? And uh, it wasn't like this five years ago, or something like that, you know. It's called life, right? just doesn't quite actually it's always irregular and shifting it's always you're in it and it's touching you and you're being soothed by it gladdened by it exasperated by it curious by it all these activations going on and this is what we're in So, you know, cultivation, what is it that can span that? Make all that into meaningful cultivation. So we're not just, oh, that's nothing to do with practice. That's nothing to do with practice. It's getting away of practice. If it was like that, I'd be able to practice better. What, what, what can span all that? So it's all just, uh-huh, uh-huh. Word how do wholesome states arise? How do unwholesome states arise? Yeah. How do unwholesome states cease? What brings around their ceasing? What does it feel like when that happens? What causes wholesome states to collapse? This is what we want to know. Yeah. So you keep your focus on that. And in the world of change and people and identities, including this one, your own identity, your own body, the awareness of the bodies of others, activations, lots of people know people. This is all just this is all just the test to see what's gonna get you going, <laughs> wind you up, get you clinging, bring the clinging up, bring the you know, trying to hold it together or trying to get away from it or giving up on it, where you get reactive. And so, you know, we have a situation like this. So, it's a very simple, you know, bare presentation of the world, isn't it? You know, but you recognise it's it's not based upon your culture, your gender, your nationality, your age, your physique, your appearance, um, your intelligence is based upon what? Your faith. Okay, faith is maybe, well, you know, it's not such an easy word in English, but 
your sense of something here is meaningful. I want to, I want to rise up to something, open up to it, and learn about it. Here we're not, we're not fencing ourselves off into little cosy holes. And of course, people think that's what monasteries are. You know, because the very word monastery seems to apply. You've got brick walls, gates, you know, cloisters, every huddled in a little cell somewhere, mumbling chants or something or the other, looking at scriptures. Perhaps monastery isn't the right word for this. This is the arama, the vihara, the sanctuary, the refuge. And it's always good. We don't have a gate. We made a try to make a principle of not having a gate so that people come in, the world comes in, we go out, the world comes in, we go out. There's no entrance fee, there's nobody checking you when you come in, you come in. Sometimes people, occasional vandals come in and make a bit of a mess, but we prefer it to be come in because that's the reality of life. And people who come generally, almost, you know, overwhelmingly, there's faith, there's interest, there's a sense of integrity, and they're really trying to actuate and potentize their integrity, their presence, their awareness. That's that's the visa, <laughs> to the extent to which that's present for you. You come with that, and you open it out. Okay. What's moving me? What's getting me going? What's calming me? What's steadying me? That's practice. Because actually this is uh, just a microcosm of what the world in general is about, isn't it? But the difference is here that the norm that almost begins to self-regulate is the norm, is that people of integrity come here. Or the quality of integrity brings us around, the quality of generosity, of precepts, of tolerance, of well-wishing. That brings us around. That's the norm. That's the normative principle. This is not for intelligent people or physically strong people or beautiful people or for people who are important people, or people who got it's just for people of integrity. And it, it tends to self-regulate, comes in, and then, ah, oh, this, this is the community. This is the punyaketa, the profitable field of humanity. So you, then you feel, okay, that's my foundation, that's my template, that's the norm. Now, what in my awareness is corresponding to that and what is moving against it? And you begin to contemplate this this clinging, this aversion, this greed, this criticism, this jealousy, this craving that goes against it Unho- and you witness the arising the unwholesome 
and you relinquish it, you step back from it, let it pass. And this is the because it's dis- discordant. Then you notice this brings around a sense of companionship, wholesomeness, free from aversion, fascination, free from clinging to mine. This is to be cultivated. And the awareness that senses that is, in a way, that's that's the that's that's what grows. It grows and strengthens. So though often you know people may come to do meditation focusing on particular discrete objects such as breathing, mantra, something with physical sensation, and so forth. This is really like um, the elephant in the zoo. Most elephants aren't in zoos, but you have an elephant in the zoo, which is good because you can study it. And it's within a fairly local place. You can go there and look at it, and it's behind bars, and it's safe, and it's there it is. But really, you want to be able to deal with elephants, not just elephants in zoos. And elephants, the elephant in the zoo is great because you get familiar with it, you really understand it, and you, you're no longer frightened of it, you're, you're, you know, and then you're ready to meet Elephants everywhere. So, actually, cultivating a way whereby these two apparently different domains, one of meditation and one of community life, are actually not that different. Solitary meditation helps to strengthen certain qualities. It's very refreshing energetically if you get your, if you cultivate it like that. You can get yourself so that your nervous system calms down. You get a steady rhythmic process. The mind isn't doing a lot of activity. It's calm. It's steady. It's very refreshing, and it's strengthening. It's absolutely necessary to have a, a zoo elephant to start with, definitely, because apart from that, you also learn how to step back and study it. It's like this. This is how breathing is. And within that, this is how pain affects me. And this is how emotions agitate. And this is how they're calmed. It's very much the internal domain. And we study that. And we begin to learn the skill of detachment. Although it calls itself me and mine, and there's a lot of that happening with it, Every time that sense of me and mine happens, suffering follows. Mm. Just, you know, clearly you don't not necessarily thinking me and mine, or you're not saying it, but that sense of, oh, I shouldn't, I, you know, I want to make it. There's a kind of intensity around uh, these experiences. We feel we want it to be a certain way, so we'll get something out of it. We want it to be a certain way, so we'll be calmer. 
We want to be a certain way so we'll feel we've done something useful. We want to get the good results. We feel we've we progressed. All quite understandable. Understandable. And yet, you realize this is the suffering in that. Because as far as I can sense, as soon as one's got their idea of progress, basically, there's, it, the progress is there's never there's never a checkered flag. You never get to the end. There's always something more you could be, or that was a decline. And one is wiser to just notice, feeling pleased, feeling encouraged, feeling discouraged. Uh huh. Mm. Let's just let that one pass. And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Back again. Here. Just steady awareness, not really getting into success and failure. Not even success. Just uh-huh. and you begin to find that, that place, that place of detachment, dispassion, is the most reliable place. And you learn it often the hard way. <laughs> Through amount of suffering you can create over succeeding and failing and being interrupted and not being able to get it right if only I didn't have a pain in my body then I would be able to meditate properly if only there wasn't that door banging I'd be able to meditate properly if only I hadn't done this five years ago I wouldn't have the regret I'd be able to meditate properly if only I get the right system where to meditate properly if only I'd started this 15 years ago about to meditate properly. I've got so much bad karma, I can't meditate properly. Because If only. Eventually, stop that if only. Here it is. Breathing in, breathing out. Yeah. Uh-huh. And eventually the, the naming and the attributing and the identifying all these various forms of what I am, could be, should be, wish I wasn't, begins to fade out and you realize it's just meeting things or discord either trying to shift it or just meeting it with open awareness and letting it do what it does this is a very important learning because that place where one is aware, sensitive, but not engaged. Hmm? It's not me, it's not self, it's not something other, it's not that I'm avoiding things, it's not like numbing out, spacing out, it's just there. And it's a relief to not have to be making all these emotional (laughs) statements about everything. (laughs) It's a relief. It's called ending suffering. And, you know, when the Buddha, as we've just been chanting this teaching on the, the, um, the first sermon, you look in that, there's no meditation instruction. There's just... Suffering, ending suffering, path. And of course, meditation is part of that path, and yet we must be aware 
that not to make meditation, what we think meditation is, as a topic that causes us attachment, clinging, suffering, stress. By comparing ourselves with others, with what we should be, by trying to carve out territory where nobody else is allowed in, you know, just no. This not this is not going to get you very far. <laughs> you know. So we say just but meditation is, is very helpful because it's the, to my sense it is that cultivation that allows you could say this this back door to open it's like the untrained mind is so on to everything so on to everything or shutting it down the untrained mind is just so living on the edge of its nerves so we either like things want more of it dislike it shut it down get away yeah very simply and that's happening with sight sound touch thought people, situations, want it, don't want it. Yeah? And it's just a very you know, simple mechanism that, that mind is just carving out territory that will give the maximum advantage. And it has to get very busy doing that. And it's not that people are particularly, you know, it's not because people are evil, just because there isn't another choice. <laughs> the untrained mind doesn't know there's a back room if you could like where it could actually uh uh-huh there's that and it's uh it's actually not that much of an attainment really i mean i've had that my first meditation was just recognizing my mind is completely crazy and i can witness it what? How can my mind be crazy if I can witness it? What is it that witnesses it? Hmm. Don't know, but I think this is something in there needs to be explored. This this has to be. This is big. <laughs> this is extremely meaningful. And then that's what I've been doing, really, last forty-five years. Mind less crazy, not not so crazy, witnessing more. Definitely, that's the way. And the mind certainly is less crazy. A little bit crazy, but not completely crazy. The witnessing has got bigger and bigger and more spacious. And now it's able to, to extend itself over not just what I take as myself, but on the interactive world where, you know, things happen that you don't really think are very good, but you don't have to have much of an opinion about it. And things that you probably would find agreeable, but you don't have to jump up and down about it. Sounds modest, doesn't it? Suffering, though, definitely down. 
suffering definitely down. Capacity to be with the whole range of life definitely improved. Identity, much more foggy what it is. Don't have much of an idea what I am. Don't even particularly want an idea of what I am. In fact, the less idea I have of what I am, the better I, better I feel. So it's not like I've got a personal quest to find my true self. I just like to not even bother to ask the question. <laughs> because so what? You know, in the interactive domain, any of that just going to clog up the process of tuning in to what's occurring. Noticing. And we have our self-boundary. So our self-boundary becomes like a kind of the one of the signals we're on the lookout for. What do I mean by self-boundary? I mean the bit where I've got my attitude and uh uh-oh, that's my boundary. I can see things within and that's not fitting into it. Uh, What happens there? You know, got my opinion and view and that doesn't fit into it what happens there oh this is my place and this is coming into it what happens there this is my way of doing things and then what's he doing what happens there (laughs) that's practice right (laughs) if I well What's wrong with him? <laughs> uh, you think, you know, it's the, you missed the point. It's not what's wrong with him or what's wrong with you. Just notice there's a boundary there with some reaction. And you can just, that, that activation, that's called activation, samudayo, re- rearing up. Rearing up around the self boundary. Yeah. And that can cause quite a lot of ripples to occur. And then action occurs. And opinion, positions occur. And taking a stand occurs. And him and them occurs. And suffering occurs. <laughs> so when we feel that self-boundary arising, something goes, okay, well, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. What arises? And we're learning how to cultivate this skill of just that stepping, bringing awareness away from the the hot nerve that sits at those boundaries, the reactive nerve that sits at those boundaries. And then it doesn't actually need to be there. doesn't mean there's no such thing as other people, but the rising up, doesn't have to happen, it's just other people. The rising up of, how dare she, doesn't have to happen. It's just, mm-hmm. Internally, externally, there's the rising up, and there's the ceasing. Now, it's not as if we can't, we're not saying nothing else exists, but it's that rising up 
We notice in this sutta, the Buddha discourse, the Buddha talks of the first, his four noble truths, the eightfold path. And then one of the disciples is listening, says, or gets this realization, everything that rises up is of the nature to cease. And the Buddha says he's understood. Now, he didn't teach it. The Buddha taught suffering, origin, cessation, part. He didn't see anything about things arising and passing. So you think, what's the connection? Because if, when things arise, they're seen as you and me, and then it starts to get solid, then suffering happens. But if it arises and passes, no suffering. Right? No position. No, you should be. No, that. No, I'm this and you're that. That positioning ceases. So we can see, actually, in this process of arising and passing, this is really the attunement to how suffering arises or doesn't arise. And so this first disciple, he got that. Uh-huh. Now I can meditate <laughs> in the Buddhist way. Now I can meditate. Now, I, now whatever it is, arising up, holding on, or not holding on. Neroda, things no longer flaring up. doesn't mean they're not there. I remember example we had a you know we have this place in the house where there's the corridor which every quite a narrow corridor actually it's a transit place for walk down the corridor see at the end of it you have a door that leads into a large hallway at the same place as another door goes into the kitchen at that same spot, there's another staircase coming down, and there's also a staircase descending. So they're like one, two, three, four, five inputs into that, this one spot, which is about a meter square, I suppose. So anybody who comes up from the basement, or down from the down from the upstairs, into the hallway in through the back door, out through the kitchen, has to go to this spot. It's the maximum traffic spot in the monastery. <laughs> and this is where people leave their shoes. <laughs> in the most inconvenient place you could possibly leave your shoes, this is where people leave their shoes. And I look at it, so, okay, shoe rack, build a shoe rack. So we build a shoe rack. And then, People don't put their shoes in the shoe rack. They leave it in this one meter square that everybody has to walk over. And there's shoes all over the place. So there's your shoe rack there. So you build, we build another couple of layers onto it. So there's four levels of this shoe rack. Shoe rack, pristine, empty. Shoes all over the floor. So, okay, I'll point this out. Please put your shoes in the shoe rack. 
And then, so she's still over the floor. One person's put his shoes in the shoe rack. Okay, say it again. Hmm. Try another way. The path to awakening is through putting your shoes in the shoe rack. You know, give it a little more rev to it. Okay. One more pair of shoes in the shoe rack. <laughs> it didn't seem to work. Um, uh, the forest tradition is great on shoe racks. <laughs> we believe in you know, tidiness and core proper. This is what a monastery is about. Okay, nothing. Signs. Please put your shoes in the shoe rack. Once you get round to signs, you know you've lost it. Because nobody ever reads a sign. <laughs> so the shoe rack thing, so I think, it's getting a little bit annoyed, you know. Shoe rack, shoe rack. So sometimes I start getting shoes and throwing them down the cellar. <laughs> and people go down the cellar, pick their shoes up, still put them on that place in the floor. So I you know, kind of went through this for quite a while, trying to find ways and means to get this this um, this place tidied up. So this simple thing, which I thought was pretty straightforward, all it takes maybe maybe ten seconds, maybe ten seconds that you should put put them there. Doesn't take long. Most people are wearing sandals, slip them off, take put them there. Doesn't take long. And yet, because it's right in a doorway, people want to get through the door. So they kick the sandals off to get through the door. Or they're coming, you know, or coming out of the kitchen, so they kick the sandals off. So it's that moment where you, you see a door, and you've got to get through that door. So you kick your sandals off to get through the door. Or you see somebody coming to the corridor you want to talk to, so you kick your sandals off, you can have a chat with them. You think, wow, this is really quite a quite an interesting trigger point, isn't it? Uh, actually... And I could start to think kinds of rather unpleasant things about people. <laughs> Eventually just... <sighs> this is sankara. This is volitional energy. My volitional energy, being righteous, getting it right, whatever. Other people's volitional energy, being in a hurry, um, being a newcomer, having other, doing other things, their volitional energy, my volitional energy, is sankara. Sankara, volitional energy. So, witness volitional energy, mine, yours, hers, theirs, should be. Yes, that's that. That sort of rushing, the impulse rush. Big one, big one. You know, nice. This is a great place to get these little things, these little areas of human activity. You can witness your own rising up, and the rising ups of others, and your opinions about other people's rising up or non-rising up. Yes, this is just the rising up of volitional energy, sankara. Yeah, and it goes on. Uh huh. Yes. But there's also the non-arising. 
the non-arising, the non-arising that doesn't cease. This is the deathless. And as the Buddha says, turning one's jitta away from the aggregates. Sankara is one of the big aggregates, one of the big elements or properties or formations in our life. Volitional energy, mental fabrication, mental do it, mental formulation, mental projection, emotional activation, yeah, one of the big ones, perhaps the biggest one. Yeah. Turning one's mind, one's heart away from that, this is sublime, this is peaceful, the stilling of sankharas, the not making something out of it, the not rising up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Dispassion, detachment. Ending craving, relinquishing old habits, ceasing, nibbana, turning one's heart away from those. So then, you know, you think, where, do you, where does it turn away to? You know, where does it turn away to? How do you turn it away? Where's the thing you turn it to? You turn it, turn awareness back on itself. How do you do that? Well, until you've really done meditation, you don't even know what awareness is. <laughs> so that's the that's the power and the really essential, you know, entry point of we call meditation practice, to really know there is such a thing as awareness and it's not shutting off things, it's not favouring something, it's got no opinion about something, it's just aware. Anything. And it doesn't, it's not even trying to solve anything. But through turning to that, all the heat and the velocity and the passion is steadied. And then we can pick something up if we wish to. We can adjust something if we wish to. Uh, isn't that rising up? So, you know, now I, my, without making too much of a big claim out of this, I can now walk past that shoe rack and nothing happens. And to me, that's a sign. I can walk past that shoe rack, shoes all over the place, one shoe in one, one all down everywhere, signs ignoring, just walk past it, see it, nothing happens. Wow, thank goodness for that. <laughs> Made a little bit of progress on the path. <laughs> few more things have got to work out, but the signs are good. <laughs> but if you ask me my opinion, I would say it's good to put your shoes on the shoe rack. That's what it's there for, because it's not just the piece of etiquette, it's actually functionally useful. Um, 
you ask my opinion. If you don't ask my opinion, that's fine. I don't really need to have something to get more, take a stand on. You know, coming into the aggregates is not that is not that much fun, really. <laughs> you don't need to activate. Yeah. Don't bother. If you can activate out of compassion and as an opportunity, that's really useful. That's great. If you can't activate out of compassion, kindness, clarity, don't bother. Unwholesome states will arise if you do. I feel not for your welfare or anybody else's welfare. So it's recognizing. It's not saying there's nothing to do or nothing to say, or, but just knowing where, you know, the triggering of these activations occurs and what's your priority. What's your priority? As you probably recognise, I'm sort of pretty fiery kind of person in some respects. <laughs> Get a bit excited. Yeah. And uh, just so, you know, I've been winter retreat and then after winter retreat, suddenly there's a whole kind of flurry of things to organise and do. And, and maybe um, often I do a bit of editing work or tidying things up or finishing off an article I've been writing or something like that. And, you know, and yesterday it was the quiet day and there's all kinds of loose ends. My cootie could do with a really good overhaul of what's there. There's all sorts of emails that could be done. I think I've more or less half, not clear about that text I was writing about sitting peacefully. You know, meditating, sitting peacefully. I don't know, really got that right. So, well, actually, why don't you just sit peacefully instead of writing a book about it? <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> Make peace with the unfinished. <laughs> it doesn't get finished. It never gets tidied. It's always incomplete, there's loose ends, there's the uncompleted, there's things you should be doing. It doesn't stop. You stop. It doesn't. <laughs> right? You're waiting for it to stop so that you can meditate is not the way it goes around. You basically just, you know, do your duties and you recognize there's a point in which, no, this is getting, this is getting obsessive so we just stop sankaras don't cease until you stop doing it and so you know you get the perception oh, I could do that should do that that doesn't work that's broken what happened to that where's that you know the trees they look like they could do a bit of fixing this that and just wait a minute remember the reason why we have the grounds and the trees and the gardens is so that people have a nice place to sit peacefully. 
right? So you running around making a lot of business out of it, why don't you just sit peacefully under a tree instead of <laughs> figuring out how it should be? The reason why, you know, you, you get, write a, an article or an essay or something on cultivating meditation is so that people can sit and live peacefully with their lives. Why don't you do it now with the unfinished and the problematic and the person who's sick that you'd like to fix and cure and make better and the world being in the state it's in and your body feeling like this? Why don't you sit with that? This is life. It goes on. It goes on. It goes on and on. And it doesn't solve. But there is this way where by not rejecting it, not looking at it with disdain, not running away from it, not closing it down, not getting your hand in the in the <laughs> in the mangle of it that you can abide. And this is what the Buddha taught. My suggestion. Check it out. Check it out with your life. Everybody's life is probably a bit of a mess in some areas, isn't it? Right? It's not just you. It's not just because of your aunt or your disease or your history or what happened to you. It's everybody's got this. Right? It doesn't have to be other than this. To understand this is what they call the aggregates. This is perception. This is feeling. This is form. Consciousness. And this is the volitional formation where we get stirred and aroused, agitated, despairing, excited, making a self out of it. Making a self out of it. Making an identity out of it. And it's just this. This form. This quality arising. And you can see this in the most embarrassingly mundane things you can see it the self boundary how I want it how I don't want it my opinion about it what I think other should people should be Ooh. wow that's there's the meditation object there's your there's your meditation object it's, it's speaking to you let me step back and we feel how beautiful it can be when that ceases and instead there's just the shining forth of goodwill, calm, respect, sensitivity, peacefulness, the beautiful human realm with all its disease and complexities can be a place of deep companionship, compassion and respect. So I'll offer this for your reflection this evening and um, 
my encouragement on this path through life.